We'll begin from ayah 175. إِنَّمَا ذَلِكُمُ الشَّيْطَانُ يُخَوِّفُ أَوْلِيَاءَهُ فَلَا تَخَافُوهُمْ وَخَافُونِ إِن كُنْتُمْ مُؤْمِنِينَ That is only shaitan who frightens you. Frightens you of who? Of his awliya, of his supporters. So what does Allah advise us? That do not fear them. Instead fear who? Allah. If you should be believers. Meaning if you are believers, then you must fear Allah alone and not the people that shaitan frightens you of. Now this ayah is a continuation of the previous ones in which we learned that when the Prophet ﷺ returned to Medina after the battle of Uhud, he feared that Abu Sufyan and his men would return and they would attack Medina again. Or rather they would come to attack Medina in order to kill the rest of the Muslims. So the Prophet ﷺ announced in the morning that all those who participated at Uhud are required to come out again. And the believers who were exhausted, who were wounded, who were injured, who had hands that were paralyzed, they got up and they went along with the Prophet ﷺ in pursuit of the enemy. And as they left Medina, what happened? They met a man who came, Nu'aim. He came and he frightened the Muslims that Abu Sufyan is coming with his army. But what was the reaction of the companions when they heard the description of Abu Sufyan and his army? What was their reaction? What did they say? Hasbunallah. Allah is... Enough for us. We can do this. It doesn't matter if the mushrikeen inflicted a great harm on us yesterday. It doesn't matter. We're not going to give up. And this is the way of the believer. That no matter what he suffers, what is important, what is necessary, he does it. Even if he feels he will fail at it. Even if he feels he does not have the strength to face it. Because again, who is he relying upon? Himself? His own strength? No. He relies on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is why he says, Hasbunallah wa ni'mal wakil. What an excellent trustee he is. Meaning he is the perfect one to rely on. So when Nu'aym, he came and he frightened the Muslims, they reacted very positively. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reveals concerning that, that innama ذَلِكُمُ shaitan. That person who came trying to frighten you was who? Shaitan. Well, he was a human being, so how was he shaitan? Remember, shayateen are from both men as well as jinn. The devils are from the people and they're also from the jinn. Meaning, some devils are in the form of human beings that we see, we interact with, and some devils are in the form of jinn that we cannot see, but they only whisper into our hearts. Okay? And when is it that a human being is a shaitan? A human being is a shaitan when he does the work of shaitan. When he does what the shayateen do. What do shayateen do? What's the role of shaitan? To stop people from obeying Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Whatever means that he adopts, what's his goal? To stop a person from being obedient to Allah. So when a person comes and frightens the other, oh, you cannot do this, or he discourages the other, don't do this, you'll fail, you'll badly fail. When a person discourages another, frightens the other from doing a good deed, then he is doing the work of who? Shaitan. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala calls that person shaitan. So remember that shaitan will not just attack you through words that he whispers into your heart, 
through thoughts that he will put into your mind? No. Shaitan will also use people to attack you. So you would be doing something really good and all of a sudden somebody comes and humiliates you, yells at you, insults you, which discourages you from ever doing that work again. So for example, you decide that the next party you're going to, if it's let's say a wedding and it's mixed but it's relatives and you have to go, there's no way of getting out, you decide that I'm going to go and I'm going to keep my hijab on. And as you're sitting there, some auntie or some person, they come to you and they're like, what are you wearing? Come on, take this off. You're at a wedding, not at a masjid. Why do you have this on? Show us your beautiful hair. And please, this is not going to work over here. And they go on and on and on. And you start crying. And you feel so sad and so hurt that you're like, never again am I going to wear hijab in public. You know what? Shaitan became victorious over there. Shaitan tried to stop you by putting this thought in your head before you left. Oh, come on. You're actually going to keep the hijab on at that party? Shaitan tried to stop you, but you're like, no, I am going to keep it on. But then when you went, Shaitan didn't stop there. What did he do? He sent a human being against you. So Shaitan doesn't leave you. He keeps coming to you directly and also through other human beings. So be alert. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala warns us, إِنَّمَا ذَلِكُمُ الشَّيْطَانُ This is Shaitan who comes to you, frightens you. And over here in this context, what happened? يُخَوِّفُ أَوْلِيَاءَهُ يُخَوِّفُ is from تَخْوِيف It is to frighten someone, to make someone afraid. So he was instilling the fear in your hearts of who? أَوْلِيَاءَهُ Of his friends. Who are the friends of Shaitan? In the context it refers to Abu Sufyan and his army who were coming back in order to attack the Muslims. So Shaitan was frightening you of his friends, that you become afraid of facing them, that you feel you are incapable of fighting them, of dealing with them. So you give up and you retreat or you give up, you abandon the Prophet ﷺ, you abandon your mission, you خَوِّفُ أَوْلِيَاءَهُ Allah says, فَلَا تَخَافُوهُمْ You don't need to fear them. So what does this mean? That no matter how great the challenge is, no matter how great the enemy is, no matter how strong the person is who is insulting you, still, what does Allah say? Do not fear them. Instead, who should you fear? وَخَافُونِي Fear me. إِن كُنْتُمْ مُؤْمِنِينَ If you should be believers. So there are a number of things that we learn in this ayah. First of all, we see the enmity and the hatred of shaitan for the believer. That he does not spare any effort. He comes himself and he sends people against the believer. And especially what does shaitan do? He instills the fear of what we have to do in our hearts. That he makes righteousness, he makes the performance of good deeds so frightening that we don't even think about doing it. I have a question for you. Has anyone asked you, have you memorized the Qur'an? Do you want to memorize the Qur'an? Or have you asked this question yourself? Yeah? But what comes into your heart? This fear. I can't do it. There's no way. I can't do it. Not at all. You know, I barely remember the short surahs of the Qur'an. How can I even memorize the entire Qur'an? This is something that I can't do. 
My memory is really bad. I'm already, you know, 20 years old. If I had done it at 8, then I would have been able to. Now I'm 20, so now, you know, I've lost my chance. I cannot memorize the Qur'an. Does this fear come into your heart? Yes, it does. Shaitan frightens us. He makes us feel that righteousness is so difficult, doing something good is impossible. So that we don't even think about doing it. And the little good that we're doing, we stop that as well. Many times it happens that we have great ideas or great intentions that we want to do something good. But then somebody comes and tells us, really, you think you can make a change? You think you can actually do this? And we start doubting ourselves. We start questioning ourselves. It's not possible. We can't do it. And then we give up. There are so many good things that people begin, that they start doing, whether it's a good project, you know, or a small class, or something, you know, good in their personal life, but then very soon it falls apart. Have you heard? A halakha started there and it finished. A person started a project and then it collapsed. Why it collapsed? Why it finished? Because when you do something good, definitely there are challenges. Definitely there are difficulties. But one is that you become frightened of those difficulties and the other is that you face them and you deal with them. Shaitan makes us afraid. But please, don't be afraid. There is nothing that human beings can do you know, which is within their capacity that is impossible. Always think that if other people can do it, I can do it too. It's not impossible. And especially in this day and age, there are so many things that people have accomplished. So when others can accomplish, why can't we? We can also do that. Let me give you an example. This building that you're sitting in, before this building, we had a very, very small Ahuda center in Mississauga. I mean, I'm talking about maybe half of this hall. The total size of that. Perhaps half of this hall. Okay? We had a hall and we had a small washroom, you know, with three stalls in it and a very small office and a very small area for the computers and so on and so forth. It was a very, very small center. And at that time, we couldn't even think about a bigger center, a bigger building. And when we walked into this building to see it, when I came here, I remember thinking that, how is it possible? How can we ever afford this building? And even if we do get this building, what are we going to do with it? What are we going to do with it? So the initial thought was, you know what? It's not possible. We're dreaming too big. We're thinking too big. So let's downsize. You know, let's think realistic. But alhamdulillah, the strong determination of other people, the trust that they had in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, because of that, they made the decision and they're like, no, we are going to go for it. And alhamdulillah, within a couple of months, literally $2.2 million were raised. Yes. And this was without having a fundraiser every other day. No. So quickly, the help of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala came. So one is that we become frightened and we're like, it's not possible, we can't do it. And the other is that you say, no, hasbunallah, Allah is enough for us. Not the money of this person and not the work of that person and not the help of that person. No, Allah is enough for us. Hasbunallah, wa nirman wakil. So always, whenever you are doing something good, whether it is you know, as small as praying salah or reading a page of the Qur'an or fasting or forgiving someone or speaking the truth or initiating the salam or responding to someone gently, you know, whatever it is, always 
say, أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم first. That, oh Allah, protect me from the evil of shaitan, from his frightening me, from his attempts to, to scare me, give me the confidence. And you can only have the confidence when you turn to Allah. It happens with many people that when they become serious about doing something for the sake of Allah, initially there is a lot of opposition in every respect. You know, from close family members, from friends, you know, financially. There's so many struggles that you have to endure. But once you make up your mind and you say, Oh Allah, I want to do this and you are enough for me, then Allah will pave the way for you. And you will see that the result is more than what you could even imagine. The end product is better than you can even expect. I mean, this building, we thought, how are we going to use it? And now, you know what situation we're in, that we have to have classes in the masjid, in the men's section. We have to kick the men out and we have to tell them we need the space. We don't know what to do, how to function in this little space which seemed so much before. Because ultimately, who is the provider? Who is your caretaker? Allah is. So when you turn to Him, He will take care of you. But like we learned earlier, Allah is going to help, but you have to ask Him. You have to prove yourself worthy of His help. You have to do something on your part as well. The companions didn't just sit in Medina saying that we're tired, we can't go. No, they got up and they left and the help of Allah came. So you have to do your part as well. And notice over here, فَلَا تَخَافُوهُمْ وَخَافُونِي Another important lesson we learn over here is that we must not fear shaitan, his friends, people, the challenges that come our way. No, we must not fear them. And as a result of that, leave the good work we're doing. Instead, we should fear who? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So, in other words, when the fear of Allah is there, then the fear of people subsides. When the fear of Allah is more, then the fear of people becomes less. Then it becomes small. And eventually it goes away. But what's the condition? That the fear of Allah should be there. And how can a person develop fear of Allah? When he compares the power of Allah to the power of people. I mean, what are people before Allah? Nothing. When a person realizes that Allah is greater. When a person realizes that people are small, that what they have is limited. When people have power over you, you can escape. But when Allah is questioning you, then you can never escape. If people want to harm you, you can be saved. But when Allah intends harm for you, you can never escape. Never ever. So, وَخَافُونِي Fear me in kuntum mu'mineen If you should be believers. وَلَا يَحْزُنْكَ الَّذِينَ يُسَارِعُونَ فِي الْكُفْرِ لَا يَحْزُنْكَ From حُزْن حَزَيْنُونَ What is حُزْن? Grief, sorrow. That over something that has happened, you're not happy with it, you're sad about it. And earlier, خَوْف was mentioned. Now what is being mentioned? حُزْن, grief. Earlier Allah said, لَا تَخَافُوهُمْ Over here Allah says, لَا يَحْزُنْكَ So do not fear and do not grieve. Because fear and grief, these are two things that can destroy a person. That can render him completely incapable. That can shatter his confidence. Fear and grief. This is why the Prophet ﷺ, he used to pray, Allahumma inni a'udhu bika min al-hammi wal-huzni. Min al-hammi wal-huzni. What is ham? Worry, anxiety. 
Anxiety is a result of fear. That I can't do this. This is impossible for me. What will people say? And what is huzn? Grief over what has happened in the past. So the Prophet ﷺ would seek refuge with Allah from these two. Because these two can destroy a person. So, لَا يَحْزُمْكَ الَّذِينَ يُسَارِعُونَ فِي الْكُفْرِ Those people who hasten in disbelief, don't let them grieve you. Don't let them make you sad. Who are الَّذِينَ يُسَارِعُونَ فِي الْكُفْرِ يُسَارِعُونَ is from the root letters. What's the root? سِينْ رَعِينَ سَارَعَ يُسَارِعُ مُسَارَعَ Is to hasten into something. Surah is to do something quickly, to walk fast, to be quick. So, yusari'una fil kufr are those who are rushing into disbelief. Meaning, they don't hesitate to disbelieve. They don't think twice in doing something that is an action of disbelief. Rather, they go into it headlong. They fall into it headlong. Any opportunity they have, they go towards it. They enter into disbelief immediately. So, the Prophet ﷺ is advised that don't be grieved because of these people. Now think about it. The majority of the people, what is their state? If they have an opportunity to do good, will they hasten towards it? No. But if they have the chance to do something bad, will they take advantage of it? Immediately. Immediately. If 10,000 people are asked, you have two options. One is that you go to a mosque or a church or whatever, whatever religion they're of, And the other is that you go to the cinema. You go to the movies. What option do you think the majority of the people will take? Going to the movies, right? Likewise, we see that if you call people, come to the masjid, come, let's go to a halaqa, let's go to a class, let's go to an Islamic conference, people will come with a lot of difficulty. You'll have to remind them and ask them and offer them a ride, right? You'll have to request them again and again. And you have to tell them that, no, no, I'll get you the ticket. I'll get the discount for you. But when it comes to doing something that's wrong, that's not that great, will you have to convince people? Not at all. Let me give you a simple example. If the parents ever tell the children, go to your homework, they have to tell them again and again. But if they tell them, okay, now you can turn the television on, it doesn't take a second. Isn't that so? Now, someone who wants good for people, who wants people to be rightly guided, who knows that they're doing something wrong and they should turn to Allah. They haven't prayed in so long. They haven't worshipped Allah the way they should in so long. What does he want? That they should go towards righteousness. But when he sees that instead of coming towards righteousness, they're falling in the hellfire, they're hastening, rushing towards wrong, You're telling your child, come let's read Qur'an, and he says, no, I don't want it. And if you tell him, turn the music down, he says, no, I like it. This is going to grieve you. It is going to make you sad. It is going to hurt you. Because the Prophet ﷺ, he was the most sincere people to all of humanity. He was the most sincere individual to all of humanity. He wanted goodness for them. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Qur'an, فَلَعَلَّكَ بَاخِعٌ نَفْسَكَ عَلَىٰ آثَارِهِمْ Perhaps you would destroy yourself out of grief because of what these people are doing. That they're not believing. So the Prophet ﷺ would get extremely hurt. Now, at the Battle of Uhud, yes, he was sad and hurt about the loss that the Muslims had experienced. But at the same time, he was grieving because of the kufr of the mushrikeen. 
that they're coming against the messenger of Allah. They're coming against the believers. What are they doing? So the Prophet ﷺ was sad, not just because of the loss, but also because of the evil actions of the disbelievers. He was sad for them. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells him, وَلَا يَحْزُنْكَ الَّذِينَ يُسَارِعُونَ فِي الْكُفْرِ Don't be grieved because of them. Remember that, إِنَّهُمْ Indeed they, لَنْ يَضُرُّ اللَّهَ شَيْئًا Never can they hurt Allah anything. Meaning they can never ever hurt Allah. No matter how much kufr they do, no matter how much they oppose the messenger, no matter how much they try to destroy the deen of Allah, can they harm Allah? Not at all. لَنْ يَضُرُّ اللَّهَ شَيْئًا Nothing at all. They can never hurt Allah. Why? Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, in a hadith Qudsi we learn, يَا عِبَادِي إِنَّكُمْ لَنْ تَبْلُغُوا ضُرِّي فَتَضُرُّونِي That, oh my servants, you can never ever be able to hurt me. You can never hurt Allah. You can never harm Him. No matter how much kufr people do, no matter how much they try to insult the deen, mock the deen, accuse the deen, can they hurt Allah? Never. لَنْ يَضُرُّ اللَّهَ شَيْئًا Because in another hadith Qudsi, we learned that if all the people and all the jinn were like the most wicked individual, imagine how evil Iblis was. Imagine how evil Fir'aun was. Imagine if all of mankind and all of the jinn became like Iblis or became like Fir'aun. Can they harm Allah? Not at all. No matter how disobedient people become, they can never harm Allah. Then why is it that Allah lets them disbelieve? Why is it that Allah allows the disbelievers to harm the believers? Allah says, Yuridullahu. Allah intends, Allah, that not. This is a combination of an and la. That not. Yaj'alalahum, He makes for them, Hawan, any share fil akhirah in the hereafter. Meaning, He lets them do whatever they're doing right now. Go ahead, hurt the messenger. Go ahead, harm the deen. Do whatever you want. Gain your worldly victory. But they will have nothing at all in the hereafter. And held from the root letters, held Allah, it refers to any share of reward. They will have no reward in the hereafter, neither a little nor a lot. وَلَهُمْ عَذَابٌ عَظِيمٌ And for them is a great punishment. Not a minor punishment, but a great punishment. Something that is unimaginable even. Incomparable to any punishment in this world. Now, after the battle of Uhud, there are a number of incidents that took place. The battle of Uhud itself was something that caused great grief to the Prophet ﷺ, to the believers, because you know that 70 companions were killed. Amongst them was uncle of the Prophet ﷺ, and like we learned earlier, that when the Prophet ﷺ was praying his janazah, the companions, they described that scene as that he sobbed his heart out, meaning he cried profusely. They had never seen him crying as much as he cried at that time. So the battle of Uhud itself was a big deal. And remember that when the Muslims returned to Medina, the munafiqeen, what was their reaction? You shouldn't have gone. Didn't we tell you? You should have come with us. You should have come back to Medina with us. You should have left the Prophet ﷺ. So they had to hear hurtful things from the hypocrites. Now soon after the battle of Uhud, we learned that a delegation from the tribes of Udil and Qara. They came to the Prophet ﷺ requesting him to send a group of companions with them. Why? So that those companions would teach their people the deen. Okay? So the Prophet ﷺ sent, according to some reports, six, and according to other reports, ten companions. 
He sent them with these people. And when these companions, when they reached Ar-Rajir, a place called Ar-Rajir, a group of 100 archers surrounded them. Imagine 100 archers, they surrounded them. And they killed them all. Only three survived. The three who survived, one of them again, he got killed. And two of them, they were taken to Makkah and they were sold. They were sold to who? To the Mushrikeen. The Mushrikeen, they were still angry about their defeat at Badr. And when they saw that the companions of the Messenger ﷺ were in their control, those companions who had killed their men, the Mushrikeen, they took full advantage of that. And what did they do? The two companions, they were brutally assassinated. One of them was Khubayb radiallahu anhu. And inshallah, if we have enough time, I will mention to you the incident of how he was brutally assassinated. Now, this was something very hurtful for the Prophet ﷺ. He sent ten companions, you know, companions who were knowledgeable, to teach others, to do da'wah, to spread the deen. And he finds out that they have been killed unjustly, that they were surrounded by a hundred archers and they were killed. And two of them were sold to the mushrikeen who brutally publicly assassinated them. This was something very hurtful. Now, in the same month, imagine the same month, 70 companions who were also well-versed in the knowledge of the Qur'an, they were sent to Najd for the same purpose, for the purpose of teaching the deen, teaching the Qur'an. And on their way to the area of Najd, when they reached the well of Ma'una, they were attacked. They were also attacked. The people who took them basically, who came to the Prophet ﷺ, it was a false request. It was just you know, a way of getting some companions out of Medina and, and killing them. So this was betrayal, this was treachery. Imagine 70 companions were killed and only one of them, he survived and he made it to Medina. On his way to Medina, he found two mushrikeen, okay, two mushrik men. And when he found them, he killed them. So the Sahabi, what did he do? He killed those two mushrikeen men, thinking that, you know what, any mushrik we find, we're going to kill them, we're going to take revenge from them, because they're attacking us, we're going to attack them. So anyway, the Sahabi, when he returned to Medina, he told the Prophet ﷺ about what had happened. Now on the one hand, 10 companions got killed. On the other hand, 70 companions got killed. How many? 80. Just recently, 70 were lost at the battle of Uhud. How many companions were lost all of a sudden? 150. Imagine, 150 men, gone. This was a great loss for the Prophet ﷺ. And we learned that at this occasion, the Prophet ﷺ, he started praying the qunut, right? Seeking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's help every day. For 30 days almost consecutively, he prayed the qunut, praying to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala against the enemy, constantly. Now, when the Muslim, the Sahabi who escaped who made it to Medina, who killed two mushrikeen on his way. Now those two mushrikeen, they belonged to a tribe with whom the Muslims were in peace with. So that meant that Muslims had to give blood money to the tribe for the two who were killed. So the Prophet ﷺ, he went to Banu An-Nadir, the Jewish tribe who was in Medina, to ask them to pitch in the blood money. Because remember that the Jews also, they were in agreement with the Muslims and part of the agreement was that if the if 
any group have to give blood money to another tribe, then everyone is going to contribute. The Prophet ﷺ went there, and the leader of the Jews, he said, yes, sure, of course, we're going to help you, and just give me a minute, I'll be back. The Prophet ﷺ was sitting, leaning against a wall, and this Jewish man, he went, and he conspired with his companions, he said, let's just take a huge boulder, and throw it from above the wall, on Muhammad ﷺ, and finish him. So they went, and they were going to do that, but Jibreel came, the angel, and told the Prophet ﷺ to leave immediately. So the Prophet ﷺ left. Now imagine, on the one hand the mushrikeen are attacking. On the other hand, the various tribes of Arabia, even the Bedouins, they were turning against the Muslims. Any Muslim they saw, they would kill him, they would assassinate him. It didn't matter for what purpose they were going, who they were. It didn't matter. Any Muslim, kill him. And then the Jews with whom they had a treaty, they also proved to be treacherous. So the Prophet ﷺ was indeed very grieved. He was very sad. Just think about it. You feel as if everyone's turning against you. You know, like it was mentioned earlier, the family, the close friends, financially, I mean, you name it, you start facing every problem. And sometimes even your own body does not cooperate with you. That you want to do something, but your body is not cooperating. You remain sick, or you're too tired, or you're always sleepy. You just don't find the capacity to do what you have to do. Sometimes your brain is not cooperating with you. I remember recently a sister came crying to me. She said, I'm trying to memorize the Qur'an, but as I'm memorizing, I keep forgetting what I've learned before. And she was crying. She said, I don't know what to do. So it happens sometimes that everything seems to be turning against you. And at this point, you almost give up. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, don't be sad. La yahzunka. Don't be sad. Don't give up. Have faith in Allah. And as long as you're trying, as long as you're on this path, you're struggling, it's all good. So, وَلَا يَحْزُنْكَ الَّذِينَ يُسَارِعُونَ فِي الْكُفْرِ إِنَّهُمْ لَا يَضُرُّ اللَّهَ شَيْئًا يُرِيدُ اللَّهُ أَلَّا يَجْعَلَ لَهُمْ حَظًا فِي الْآخِرَةِ So no matter how much harm they inflict on the Prophet ﷺ, on the believers, can they harm Allah? Not at all. Can they harm the deen of Allah? Never. Despite the efforts of the mushrikeen, of the Jews, did Islam not spread? Was the Prophet ﷺ not victorious? Yes, he was. No matter how treacherous the enemy was, still the religion of Allah prevailed ultimately. So remember, whatever is done for Allah, it will remain. It will remain, no matter how much opposition is there. Allah will save it. Allah will rescue it. Allah will give it victory. Because the deen is Allah's. And no matter how much people try to harm it, they cannot defeat it. And Allah lets them do whatever they're doing, because then they will have no share in the hereafter, no reward at all. And for them is a great punishment. إِنَّ الَّذِينَ اشْتَرَوُوا الْكُفْرَ بِالْإِيمَانِ Indeed, those people who have purchased disbelief in exchange for iman. They had iman. They gave it up and they took kufr. They gave up. They found Islam to be too difficult. They couldn't deal with the challenges. They got frightened, they got frazzled, and they gave up. Like the munafiqeen. They went along with the Prophet ﷺ, but when they realized that the challenge was really great, they said, we're not coming. They left. 300 of them went back. So those people who give up iman and they take kufr, Allah says, لَن يَضُرُّ اللَّهَ شَيْئًا 
Again, they can never harm Allah at all. They can never harm the deen of Allah at all. When Abdullah bin Ubay returned with 300 of his companions, and the Muslims, they were left in the battle, 700 of them, were they not victorious initially? Yes, they were. Allah did bless them with victory. Because of a mistake that happened, that is when the victory turned into defeat. I had mentioned to you earlier how the Muslims saw that the women of the mushrikeen, they were running in order to save their lives when they saw that their men were just falling one after the other. And the enemy was retreating from the battlefield, which is why the believers who were appointed at the small hillock, this is why they left their positions to go and collect the booty. So Allah did give them victory. So remember, if anyone abandons the cause of Allah, they can never harm the deen. The deen will still survive. The deen will still last. So there are two kind of people who are being described over here. One are those who try to harm the deen externally, actively, openly. يُسَارِعُونَ فِي الْكُفْرِ And the other are those who harm the deen from within, internally. Through deceit, through treachery. That they show themselves as sincere, but they prove to be treacherous. That for example, someone says that, yes, I will help you with this project of yours, and I will guide you, and I will do this, and I will do that. But when the work actually needs to be done, they don't show up. They disappear completely. Or they start something with you, and they leave you, and all the work falls on your shoulders. So, whether someone harms the deen directly or indirectly, externally or internally, what does Allah say? They can never harm Allah, they can never harm the deen. And in reality for them is a painful punishment. Let's listen to the recitation of these verses. إِنَّمَا ذَلِكُمُ الشَّيْطَانُ يُخَوِّفُ أَوْلِيَاءَهُ يُخَوِّفُ أَوْلِيَاءَهُ فَلَا تَخَافُوهُمْ وَخَافُونِ إِن كُنْتُمْ مُؤْمِنِينَ وَلَا يَحْزُنْكَ الَّذِينَ يُسَارِعُونَ فِي الْكُفْرِ إِنَّهُمْ لَنْ يَضُرُّوا اللَّهَ شَيْئًا يُرِيدُ اللَّهُ أَلَّا يَجْعَلَ لَهُمْ حَظًّا فِي الْآخِرَةِ وَلَهُمْ عَذَابٌ عَظِيمٌ So ultimately, we see that there are two ways. One is that a person goes in the way of Allah faces the challenges, accepts the deen of Allah, embraces the challenges, then this person, who is he benefiting? Himself. Is he benefiting the deen? Okay. But can the deen survive without him? Definitely. But when a person goes out in the way of Allah, first and foremost, who is he benefiting? Himself. On the other hand, the person who opposes the deen, or deceives the people of the deen, tries to harm the deen from within or from without, then this person, who is he harming? Himself. He can never harm the deen, he is actually harming himself. So when we worship Allah, we benefit ourselves. When we turn away, we harm ourselves. <laughs> 